Welcome again to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. My name is Tim, and I'm joined again this evening by Steve. Picking up from the mystical experiences that we shared, um, we're going to unpack the experience of the transcendent or the, the, the personal dimension. So here we're leaving aside the exploration of you know, the, the experience of the transcendent as the, as the mirror to the self, and we're leaving aside the, the, the experience of the transcendent as the vista that we can look back onto everything and the unity of everything, and we can look forward or beyond everything to the underlying emptiness of everything. So we're leaving that aside. We're just exploring dynamics around personal mystical experience of self-revealing spiritual beings who enter into the experience of human beings. This session is accompanied by a post over at urbanmystic.blog, which will have notes and diagrams related to the session. And with that, we're going to jump into part one of this multi-part conversation, um, which starts off with an awfully long monologue by me, but then is followed by a conversation between Steve and I. So, so Steve, I'm, I'm thinking of this as a bit of a part two, no, a bit of a part three to the conversations that we've been having over the last um, two, two weeks, last two, three weeks. And, and, and that's really just, uh, you know, grabbing onto this one aspect of the transcendent that is really important to capture and explore and I guess find a way to integrate into our lives and our spirituality as, as post, postmodern people ourselves, you know. Um, and as people who aren't necessarily looking to go and be part of a religious institution per se, but you actually just want to pick up from the context of your life and, and find your way forward with your spirituality and your mysticism. You know, so, so you know, as a, as a way to to frame this, it helps to have some tools to think around and to have a model to think around. And so that initial model of a spiritual being breaking into the experience of a human being who's just going about their ordinary day-to-day -day life and basically setting them up as a as an ambassadorial representative, you know, setting them up to go and represent them to other people who must first experience them as being some form of crazy madman, right? I mean, anyone that comes to you and goes, <laughs> I was hiking up a mountain and an angel appeared to me in a cave, or, you know, I was walking through a, through a park and a cloud of fire and power appeared to me, or, you know, I was walking through the desert and there was a burning bush, you know, anything like that, that's, it, 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 there's, there's an extraordinary dimension to it. And yet it is completely normal because it's not like people were caught up in some visionary experience and taken off planet, right? They weren't they weren't drugged in, in a coma, they were actually present within this reality. And so and so there's some unpacking that that, that needs to happen. And of course, on our end, it's, it's slightly different because we're working backwards. We're often people who are working backwards going, how do I understand this experience? Some of which I may have had, but it's not something that we actually converse about. It's not something that we understand really well. And of course, we've got the science versus religion paradigm which we definitely have to get around to unpacking but it's something that cuts against this and so the language of religion is the language of faith where you don't trust experience the language of science is all about what's observable measurable and repeatable and so in this sense this doesn't neatly fit into either category because it is deeply experiential and it's deeply individual and yet it also takes place in the context of this life and community and the relationships that that, that we're in just from the starting point of putting that forward as a model, um, you know, you and I spoke about some fairly deep and common, uh, some deep experiences for us, but I'm sure that between us, we know tons of people where this kind of stuff takes place. 
and and as the listeners, I'm, I'm sure virtually everyone listening in has got some form of experience that they'd fit into that category as well. And 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 so I'm sure those listening to last week's episode would would resonate with this. Um, but today I just want to go one step further, and then let's open up some questions of you know some questions that just naturally spark off that people ask commonly and that we can ask and and explore ourselves. Um, but but here in this intermediary place, the question of what is the experience and what is the range of the experience is quite a, quite important, and so. We speak about spiritual beings entering into the experience of human beings going about their normal day-to-day business. But the way in which that happens is actually quite quite wide-ranging. On one hand, it can happen almost completely serendipitously and accidentally, you know, on our side, where you're just going about your ordinary business and it's almost like you get you get hijacked, your experience gets hijacked, and suddenly you go from an ordinary day-to-day experience to being in an extraordinary experience. So in some senses, it, it can be quite upsetting. It can be walking down, it can be like walking down the streets after a nice social time and someone jumping out the alleyway to mug you, right? <laughs> but it's the it's the spiritual equivalent equivalent of it. It's quite accidental, it's unsoughtful. In fact, you could even going about your business not wanting to be mugged, and it can still happen to you. And in the same way, you can be going about your business not wanting any form of spirituality or mysticism and this thing can just set itself upon you and that's that's the nature of a spiritual being having its own personality its own agenda having its its own mission and purpose you know its own thing that it wants to accomplish and you just being the poor individual that happens to get mugged along the way and 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 your life gets unsettled for it so that's that's on one extreme you know on the other extreme you find that there's there's a lot of a lot of rituals across the world that is all about summoning a spiritual being to come and meet with you and summoning a spiritual being to come and possess you or of of getting a spiritual being to become present so that you can negotiate some form of deal or something out of it and um, you know classically we've got we've got good old faust who sets up a deal with the desert with the devil um you know we've got the the primal religions where there's a lot of uh drugs altered states of consciousness uh spirit possession spirit speaking through people etc etc we've got a wide range of phenomena that's the same basic process taking place so 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 this is a model is a very simple process diagram and of a spiritual being breaks into the life of a human being human being tells other people about it other people go cool we want that let's go get those same experiences and then they work back but the reality is a lot more complicated than than um than that simplified model presents and so just in this interim in between space of what happens you know, I, I think of spiritual beings that arrive and self-identify also taking upon themselves the claim that they're representing God. You know, so Muhammad experiencing Gabriel in the cave, Gabriel self-identifies as Gabriel and goes, oh, by the way, I'm represent, representing God. Um, you know, um, Joseph going about his business and Gabriel approaching him, <laughs> you know, exact same thing. You know, and, and of course, Gabriel is that, is that, is that, clear messenger figure within the Judeo-Christian Muslim context that that represents that. But other spiritual beings play that same role, and they don't all tell the same picture. So Christianity differs to Islam in dramatic ways, even though that same 
even though there was a spiritual being who self-identified to different people in different historical periods as that angel. And then today as well, we find that there's spiritual beings that still self-identify, say they're representing God, and tell completely different visions and stories about how the world came to be, the meaning of humanity, and what they want people to do as their mission and purpose in life. So, so that's the first thing is to go that, that as a phenomena, this is a broad phenomena. And it's a, it's a challenging phenomenon to understand. And so on one hand, these questions that can emerge around the who and what appears and how they go about communicating to us and how that experience is available to other people other than that initial person that becomes the ambassador. The, the second thing that I think about this is, 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 the, is the dynamics that take place within the individual who is doing the representation. So when they become an ambassador of representation, you know, the classical um, uh, monotheistic thing is of Moses going with his staff to Pharaoh, right? <laughs> and, and he's supposed to perform these miracles and Pharaoh's magicians do the same up to a certain point. So, so at a certain point, there's, a, there's, a, there's an agency and the individual stays completely who they are, right? They're completely conscious. They're completely present as an individual and they are themselves you know they they haven't somehow been magically cleaned up and dusted off and they're walking the earth and they're sparkling and as they walk over the desert the flowers spring up behind them and the birds sing as they come past or anything like that they're still the same grotty old crotchety self that they were uh, um, and however poorly they go about representing the experience and the the, the divine, they still go about doing it, right? On the flip side, we've got the classic case of people like Edgar Casey, who is spoken of as the as the sleeping, um, you know, he's termed the sleeping prophet, and, and that's the classical, almost opposite end of what it's what what this kind of revelatory experience and communication is like, you know, and it's 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 a, the 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 scenario where an individual falls completely into a trance. And something literally just uses them as a meat, meat puppet to speak through them. They're completely unconscious to the event themselves. They don't know what's happened. They only know what's reported or recorded that they have access to afterwards. And so, so we have these two extremes. And on the one extreme, um, a guy called John Klimo, who wrote a phenomenal book called Channeling, uh, subtitled Investigations and Receiving Information from Paranormal Sources. Wonderful book, recommend that anyone reads it. Um, he, he defines these two extremes as on the one hand, you've got this open channeling. And by open channeling, it basically means that the human being remains fully conscious and open and present and aware of who they are in the interaction, in the representation. And on the flip side, on the opposite extreme, you've got closed channeling where the individual is, is almost completely asleep and completely unconscious, and whether they are just talking or talking and doing stuff, literally they've checked out. They're the, they're the passenger, they're the unconscious passenger within the body that is their body that has been taken over by something else. And, and so there's those two... Um, uh, two extremes. <laughs> then, then the other thing is 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 the means in which these communications take 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 place, and and these this next dimension really relates more to the conscious side than the unconscious, because if in the closed channeling scenario or that extreme, you know the individual's getting nothing. The individual is set aside, and something else is speaking. Right. 
they're, they're not receiving anything. They literally they've been switched they've been switched off. So on the other hand, you've got the interplay between the conscious and the unconscious, the awake and the asleep, and one's participation in 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 waking dreams and sleeping visions, and um, and so in in that in that case, whether the person is experiencing something in a dream, like you and I both recounted dreams last week, or um, or someone is is completely awake and is 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 receiving something in the form of a of a message or a communication or a or a, or a you know prophecy or a you know a uh, intuition or whatever, and they understand that to be coming from a remote source from a from a spiritual being, they they're actually fully present to it. And so so in that sense, whether awake or asleep, conscious or unconscious you are still fully present and you are still fully in control in the interaction. And that's almost like one extreme. And then if you narrow it like a cone, um, and I'm going to draw this and it will be available on um, <laughs> urbanmystic.blog. So please go there and check out this, uh, this episode and pick up the diagram. But, but literally on the left, you can talk about the conscious and the unconscious. And, but being fully present to it. And on the other extreme, you can talk about just being used as the meat puppet through which it's spoken. And then you still have to catch up on what was said or done in and through you. And that's that's almost like the classic nightmare channeling scenario, <laughs> you know, where you lose all control and function, et cetera, et cetera. And then in between is the whole thing, perhaps, of being conscious to things like automatic writing and other stuff taking place now now of course by by putting this as a model we're setting aside the 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 ways in which people can fake this kind of stuff like the mentalists and you know magicians and and that kind of stuff like it's a it's a classic party trick you know of how this kind of stuff is faked and if we set aside those fake stuff aside we just take a look at the verified stuff because they, it is verified and a lot of the stuff is, is scientifically verified including double blind studies that have been performed and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll include a link on that on the blog as well just for people to pick up and, and, and look at but but as I think of it there's this is a this is a complex phenomenon it's not a singular phenomenon and and because of that because it is complex both in the side both in terms of the nature of how people experience spiritual beings speaking to them and through them to others, um, and the implications of that, you know, on one hand, that's a whole set of challenges and questions that can emerge, and then on the other hand, the nature and of the who and what shows up and the claims that they make and what they direct people to do is also equally important and ends up being another avenue or another thing that we we need to ask and answer a whole ton of questions about as well and so so in some ways by putting forward this model and by encouraging people to to understand the transcendent in relation to this and their spirituality or their mysticism in relation to it i, I do understand that i'm not making this any easier <laughs> in fact i'm making it a whole lot more complex i'm likely opening up a ton of questions that that need to be asked and answered and a ton of conversations that need to had, be had because it's not as simple as, oh, well, you know, A plus B equals C, let's just take that as though there's a one size fits all picture for everyone. And then of course, in the context that we're coming out of, if you're coming out of a, like most of us, we're coming out of a secular context with religious flavoring where people often 
don't have a lot of experience around this. And if you do have experience, you're often isolated in your understanding and experience thereof. It's not a conversation that's generally shared or, or pursued. And so if you if you have it, it's, it's often set aside as a secondary. And, and, and most people still end up defining themselves as being post-religious or anti-religious or atheist, or as defining yourself as being religious. But the, this experience and this phenomena is not usually a part of what is practiced or included in religion. And obviously it, it, it certainly isn't if you define yourself as an atheist, right? <laughs> You're not looking for a spiritual being to, to speak to you because you've, you've almost excluded the possibility of that anyway. I understand that it's, it's, it's challenging and that it's, that it's a lot, but in my mind, this is part of the irreducible complexity to, to the topic and part of what we need to have conversations about as we go about deconstructing religion and as we go about reconstructing for ourselves a, a, a practice of the pursuit of an engagement with the transcendent, which includes God. I think perhaps as, I, as I'm just listening and, and reflecting on what you're sharing there in terms of the model, now would be a good time for, I'm going to speak sort of directly to our listeners now, just to take a moment to take a deep breath if that's been a, a huge mouthful, um, to, to take in conceptually, as Tim has just said, um, that it can, it can open all sorts of questions and all sorts of wonderings. Um, but perhaps it's worth just taking a moment to just consolidate and summarize um, that, that the model that you're putting forward, as I hear you talking here, Tim, is in some ways is, a, is a quite a simple thing that you're tabling in talking about how across a variety of different cultural and historical backgrounds, and we're also including the present in that, people are experiencing a broad variety of interactions with something that is outside of themselves, or is at least a, uh, perceived to be external to themselves. And I just love the way you're putting that down, that sort of four-part way of understanding the closed and open channeling and the con conscious unconscious. And it might just be, be worth, worth the listeners' while just to take a moment and to bring to mind um, some experiences that might fit either or any or all of those areas of the model just as a way of sort of grounding that before any of the questions might uh, might sort of take us away in a flood. Because I, I love what you're saying because it is so foundational and it is really helpful as a departure point to get a sense of, you know, where the, the, uh, the non-spiritual person, you know, the, the, what am I trying to say? The, the atheist, what I loved, one of the things that you pointed out was the idea that this, this phenomenon is so broad and so wide stretching and is sometimes uninvited that it might not even matter our perspective in life before it happens. And one of the things that I think you alluded to that I found interesting was that it might even be people who do not consider themselves spiritual, etc. And there might actually even be some isolation in that in experiencing something that is hard to explain um, and difficult to interpret. And one is not sure who does one share this with to try and make sense of it. Um, but that this model really sets down a way of understanding. It's a departure point to look at. This may have been what happened to you. Um, and before the questions carry you away, we're just trying to say this does happen. And it's happened in a number of, number of different places across time 
through cultures and in ways that are sometimes seemingly contradictory and sometimes they flow together, uh, they're quite congruent um, and we're just, we're acknowledging that. Would that be a fair? Yeah, I think I think that's really, that that is really in the sense that that I'm, I'm trying to simplify something that is that is really complex that we that's not it's not a it's not an open part of our society it, it's a phenomenon that is that is pre- prevalent people have it as an experience um we are we are told that it's difficult to understand and we can't make sense of it and yet we can actually simplify the process we can actually model it and go it's a very simple process diagram and then we can drill down into the detail and go, okay, there's there's some serious questions that emerge at every step along the way, of course. But 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 the the summary model is 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 quite straightforward. And I think that there's a tremendous amount of value to to that, you know. Um and, and it allows one the opportunity to go, you know, do I want to completely lose conscious and be quite surprised about what came out? Um, you know, is is that part of my spirituality? Is that part of my sense of self and comfort? You know, um, or 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 do I want to remain fully present to who I am and fully conscious of the situation and in control of myself and my my behaviour in my interaction with that something else? You know, and 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 simply by asking that in an open way without judging either experience as being right or wrong we can automatically narrow things down. Now, now, now myself and yourself, I'm, I'm very sure, and, um, and likely most of the listeners here, would fit into the category of going, you know, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with the idea of being roofied and used as a meat puppet by anyone, right? Under any circumstances, like that itself evokes a lot of discomfort, you know, and I, and I deliberately chose that language because, because I would feel violated by a spiritual being in some way doing that to me. In other circles, people feel like that's the purest form of spirituality. It's the purest form through which a message can be given and received. You know, and, and there's some spiritualist circles that that are like that. I know for myself, I'm not comfortable with that, and it's not in keeping with my experience of a, of of the transcendence and and of God. And yet, the the experience of being conscious and as an intermediary spiritual being being present who's not God and who may or may not represent God, those dynamics I am quite comfortable with, you know, and, and hence the whole thing of, of when the person comes to my door um, in the, in the smart casual outfit with the name tag or the literature under the arm, you know, I'm very open to going invite your God to come. I'll invite my God to come. And let's see what they want to say do. You know, I'm I'm very comfortable with those with those dynamics. But the the idea of um, you know slaughtering a cat, uh, dancing around on on pine cones at coals, and expecting myself to lose consciousness and something to speak through me, you're never going to find me doing that. You know, and so so in some ways this is a model going beyond that 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 early process diagram of spiritual being breaks into human being to give a message to other people, to bring people back, to interact with that spiritual being. There's an opening and a narrowing of experience that takes place here based on the scope of it. And and, and just on, on how frankly weird, weird AF it can be. <laughs> whereas 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 I think on the on on the on the flip side, the kinds of stories that we were sharing last week, they're stories that that so many people resonate with. And when I have conversations with people about them and cultivating them, it's, it becomes quite seamless 
you know, the pursuit thereof, the practice thereof, the acceptance thereof, and even just the sharing of stories that they've had that match, equal, or exceed the stories that we shared. And I think that the beauty of the model that you're putting forward, or part of it, part of that for me at least, is, I mean, I can remember certain conversations, and for some reason I can only ever remember these things uh, said through the voice of one of those desperate beach hippies. Um, you know, and, and you will try to explain something and they'll say, that's God, man. Um, and, and, and what is required is almost this, this dramatic increase in your vocabulary to be able to explain experiences where what you've put forward is, is yes, complex and does raise lots of questions, but I'm coming back to you. It's a way to try and simplify that, which almost defies simplification, but it is a simpler way and it is quite easily transferable across a variety of experiences, the model that you're talking about. Um, you could quite easily speak to somebody coming out of a Christian tradition or any of the other faith traditions with this language. And it's a very small vocabulary compared to what you might have to be taught. You know, not learn the whole Bible to interpret that you have spent time with a transcendent being or the transcendent being, or whatever you want to describe it as. You, you know, the development of language is is entirely natural. I mean, I, I've started rollerblading with my with my son recently. There's a language that you that you develop around the, the surfaces of the road. And some of them are, are terms of familiarity, like the like the tar snake that will take you down, or the or, or, or the gravel or the lurking gravel beast that you that you just can't see that's just gonna like face plant you. You know, and and there's language that you develop around carving and balancing and and grinding, you know, that 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 are that are words that are commonplace, but they've got very specific application. You know, you use them in a very specific way when when developing a sport, and and your language becomes broader as you spend time doing it because it's part of what you do. And I think I think for most of us, you know, that that language, you know, if you talk to people of any subculture, be it rock climbers or um, surfers or anything like that, there's a there's a there's a peculiarity of language that is tied to the experience. And, and the reading of the environment that they're in. And with this as a subject, the whole thing of spirituality and, and experiences deemed mystical, experiences deemed spiritual, et cetera, et cetera, ends up being exactly this kind of stuff. And there is a language that, that we develop as we give time to the pursuit and practice of stuff like this, or or even just the investigation of it, and and in some ways, like like what you say there, I, I like because that's precisely why I had to develop this language. <laughs> you know, I I was speaking to people of a wide variety of faiths as someone who'd experienced a spiritual being break into my life, and was basically um, wanting me to communicate that experience to others and get them into the experience themselves, right? So, so for me, that was the model, that was the experience that I had. And as I went about listening to how people went about um, converting people from different religions, you know, so I, I investigated how the Hare Krishnas did it, how the Muslims were doing it, how the, you know, different Christians were doing it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, I really noted that there was a big difference between the educative approach and the, um, the uh, what do you call it the um the, the approach where you explain and you defend and you justify your faith 
and in sorting out all these answers, then people must come to believe because you've dealt with all the logical questions and objections that they could give, right? So, so your, your, your response is to justify your worldview and to justify the foundations that your faith rests on and to eliminate the objections and the misunderstandings and misinterpretations thereof, you know? So, so that's the common practice so many people go through. You're talking about sort of basic apologetics. Yeah, basic basic apologetics, but it's it's almost near universal. If you if you're de- dealing with someone who's who's a converted Buddhist, they're going to be doing their basic apologetics within the peculiarities of their faith and upselling their faith over others. If you deal with Hare Krishna, they're doing that. If you deal with a Christian, they're doing that. If you're dealing with a Catholic over a Protestant, they're doing that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so in some ways, I wanted to find a, uh, the language that helped me get past that apologetic dimension and behavior, the past the arguments and the belief for or the belief against and the agree to disagree or the bowing down to the logical, you know, bowing down to the logic and the logical sense being the leap to faith. You know, I, I wanted to get past that to go, where's the substance and the reality behind this? And um, and I found I found language for this in and around the experiences that people had, which they often didn't speak about. And so often people have had an experience and then joined a faith and then been educated to go about this apologetic thing. They haven't added to the experience. They've just added a, a, a ton of marketing material, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and jargon and stuff. And so, so in some ways, the challenge was to go, how do I find the language to communicate this to people and then help people to transition from a world where we, d- we believe that all gods and beliefs in gods are the equivalent of belief in Father Christmas and the Tooth Fairy, and there's nothing more substantial to them. And how do you help people get past that? to to experience the urban desert as an opportunity to see the transcendent breaking and and to see the prevalence of these spiritual beings and then back in that day as well I, I actually coupled that with what I called spiritual tourism with a with with a course where we where where I lectured and we debated and where I took people to different religions to try and show them how do you look for the presence of a spiritual being in this context and 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 how do you recognize when one isn't there and how do you recognize when one is there and in that sense there was a parallel to learning to surf or learning to rock climb to to you know i remember the first time i stood in front of a, a, a of a wall of rock <laughs> and and I, it was sport climbing so fortunately i could see this cookie trail of bolts that i could clip into but I had to learn to read the line and process the sequence for climbing. And I was amongst a bunch of people and everyone had done one lead climb in the gym and I'd done two. And from that point onwards, I was a designated lead climber, <laughs> you know, and I was literally having to stumble and claw my way up the rock, knowing what I was doing or how to read it. But over time learning to do that. And this is a subject for me has been like that as well. Oh, that's so helpful. I, when, when I when I hear you talking about kind of the this thread that I see, so you talked about surfing, rock climbing. You can talk about running. You can talk about skiing, rollerblading. There is this this moment, this experience within each of those different disciplines and different um, enjoyable activities, 
there's the moment at which you come over the top of the ledge or you perform an off-width maneuver in climbing. There's you know, riding the wave in surfing. There's that burn in running as you push through the wall. There's, there's these experiences that are almost transferable across the different um, hobbies, and we call them that for now. Um, and that's what I see you trying to describe. And the apologetics would then be, um, well, we're going to talk about the diet of runners versus climbers versus surfers. And we're going to debate who eats the most protein and who exercises in different ways. But that actually has very little to do with it. What we're trying to look at at its simplest base is that feeling that you had in the wave when you rode it and it was good. And that moment pushing through the burn. And equally, you can talk about other, other things, I suppose. Fear, that moment when you fell, that moment when you came off the ledge, when you weren't sure that the piece of gear was going to hold. The, the, the paying, the paying, the skin tax. Yes, paying skin tax when you're skating. Um, all of those things, you know, starting an entrepreneurial venture and it fails. And there's that, that negative experience. And, and there are many sort of biopsychological markers that happen across those. Um, but I love what you're doing is trying to key in towards that and away from just the apologetics of running is better than climbing. Yeah, yeah. And of course, with it as well, to to get people up off the couch, you know, to get surfing, you've got to get off the couch. To get rock climbing, you've got to get off the couch. To get rollerblading. And I feel like this is a subject is exactly the same thing. And and so many people's arguments and debates around this is like Facebook activism. It's the armchair specialist who is so certain of their beliefs and so certain of what you believe and why you're so dumb, you know. And and yet they're not getting up off the couch. They're not. They're not thinking outside the box. They they're not uh, engaging the reality. But it's good that getting off the couch because I think that's that's the thing where where I where I think about, and when, if I speak about, and I think about what we're talking about tonight, the idea of experience of God, it is in moving off the couch. It is that you won't, you won't have this experience unless you ride the wave. But equally, there's a motivational factor behind that. And it's not so much the apologetics of which diet you're going to have or which runner's vest is better than a climbing you know, top, which is better than these different skates the motivation there is you know i i rode the wave and i felt something i i summited that climb i did a 23 and i felt something i i finished that 40k half marathon i felt something and uh i like that idea as being primary and it comes back to things we've said a few times but that's primary it's not it's not the benefits of fish over lean beef there is something tangible out there. And I like the, the model. It's just a helpful intro um, to, to move forward from. And, and I, the, the other thing that I, that, that I feel I like about it is it gets people past the, the absurd rebuttal. You know, like, like debating with the paleo people and the rebuttal being, if I throw chocolates into my backyard and have to hunt it, it's paleo, right? That, that kind of immature logic is often how people go about deflecting because because people can quickly and easily look at this kind of stuff and 
And with religion, it's it's easy to do that. You know, the person that comes to my door with a particular literature, I go, well, why should I trust that over the following? And of course, I'm I'm lucky I can, you know, whether I pull Ninian smart sacred text of of the world off my shelf, or you know, medieval occult philosophy, or you know, the Quran or anything like that. I, I I'm not I, I'm not at a loss for 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 that kind of material because my bookshelf is full of it. Most people's aren't. You know, so there's there's a way in which I can be obnoxious in a way that is quite offensive and and closes the conversation and, and i'm aware that a lot of people do that i do that other people do that and it is an important part of the process that that you, there's ways to have these conversations that's helpful in ways that are unhelpful and this is a model for me was a way for myself to find a way through a way through that towards something that is practical and concise that can help us hinge something around or hinge conversations around. And it's also broad enough that if I'm talking to someone who was raised within the context of African traditional religion, or with someone who's deeply steeped in the new age movements, and you know, um, or, or someone who strongly follows Edgar Casey, or someone that's a Muslim or a Buddhist, or et cetera, et cetera, it's it, it there's there's a lot of room to have a conversation with the model as a framework that helps interpret the experiences that I'm sharing and bringing to the table and where I want to see people move, as well as where they're coming from and what they're bringing to the table, and perhaps where I need to move towards or what they need to move away from. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a nice hinge point in that sense, you know. But in that sense, the hinge point of, of, of crossing over into the experience, you know, of, of, of me within what I'm in saying, yes, a pair of skates, put them on triads, as opposed to the disagreement, the polemic disagreement between people. Yeah, around which ball bearings to use. Yeah, I like that because it's so direct. And so it doesn't allow that escape down into, okay, well, let's nitpick over verb three in verse six. It's very direct because the model is saying there is experience and it is wide and it is varied. And I think partly what I had a sense of earlier, just for the listener to reflect on, I think part of the inherent question in it is, and what has yours been, which is incredibly direct and to the point, um, and maybe a little uncomfortable, but the positive of that is it does not allow us to deflect and helps us to face that question of, this is real, it does happen, it can happen, for me, it may have happened to me. And perhaps here is a way in which I can go around um, moving forward with this in mind, rather than jettisoning it uh, for a, a fruitless argument that may actually not lead anywhere. Yeah, very much so. I, I feel like it, it brings it, as you say, to the first person present continuous, to the what experience have you had? What experiences on the table to be had? You know, and the what experience of I had, and it it takes away from the you know there was some knob in the 1400s who said something mean to someone and they went to war. Therefore, all religion leads to war. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like wow. I mean, where where do you even start with that? And I mean, there's so many ways to start with that, and and to just deconstruct that as as one of the dumbest arguments on the on the planet. But 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 in this context, it actually shifts it from that. It shifts it to the to the present continuous and to the it becomes the it becomes the opportunity for people to find the edge of the way for themselves or to carve the line for themselves it becomes a way for them to get on the board and to go what am i looking for and basically 
that then gives you the hinge point to go, what do I expect? And how do I change the boundaries of my behavior in order to change the, the, the world of my experience? You know, because again, even in that sporting analogy or the recreational hobby activity, you know, I, I get up, I go to work, I take time out, I go, I, I go blade or rock, rock line or surf, right? There's a change there. We're living within the same world, but I'm not expecting the same experience in both situations, you know? And so there's a similarity to that in the sense that I'm not experiencing to, I, I'm not expecting to get this kind of experience by going about my daily life as it is. I have to change the boundaries of my behavior and expectation to change the boundaries of my experience to become open to this. If it's not going to hijack me and mug me in the middle of my ordinary experience and there's a desire for this, you know, um, I have to go about finding it. And that means that I've got to change behavior and expectation. You know, I, I have to engage, and and here there's some hinge points for that, and so, and so in the past, the way I, one of the contexts in which I used to use this as a description was to introducing people to the immediate experience of God, the immediate experience of the transcendent, as personal, as someone who becomes present to speak and act, and that that experience isn't an experience that's that's within me and someone has to receive it on the basis of how clearly I hear or anything like that. It's on the basis of irrespective of, of, of how well I perform or how off I am, the experience is for them to be had. And hence there's the, there's the participation as a triangulated invitation, you know, or, a, or two people standing with an invitation that is triangulated towards the transcendent to God without having to define the who and what that is. And then that someone becoming present. This brings us to the end of part one of this multi-part conversation. Thank you so much just from Steve and I for joining us for this podcast again. 